You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. This to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcasts across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You'll be able to access the podcast within the next 24 to 48 hours by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. If you're a little bit confused about anarchy, very simple, anarchos without rulers. What gives Putin and Z, you know, Mr Biden, all that power? What gives corporations all that power? Very simple, inequalities in power and wealth. Hierarchy, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to create a society without rulers. That means it's a struggle against concentration of power and it's a struggle against the concentration of wealth in fewer and fewer hands. So if you're involved in that struggle to redistribute wealth, create wealth and redistribute it, and if you're involved in the struggle to break down hierarchy, so a few people can't say to a few hundred thousand people, go out there and slaughter some people for a bit of fun, well then... You're an anarchist. If you're not an anarchist, you're a fool. All right, let's move on. Yeah, and I'll, I'll stand by that. If you support inequalities in power and wealth, if you support the current status quo in this society, then you are a fool because over and over and over again we will see the same things happen over and over again. And what is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, although you know the result before you start. So think about it. Inequalities in power and wealth. That is the key to change. It doesn't matter, you know, who's president. It doesn't matter who's the head of the CEO. As long as you've got those structures which keep those people in power and allow them to lord it over others, well, that's what you get. and It's not going to change. Okay, let's move on. Policies you won't hear discussed during the 2022 federal election campaign. Look, I'm going to bring up a few policies, which we've discussed on this program over and over again, but we'll bring them up, and you won't hear them. And that's why I'm playing with the idea of standing as an independent uh, Senate candidate. Not because I'm going to be elected. Not because I'm going to get my $2,000 back because I'm going to get 4% of the vote. 
Not because the media is going to drool over our campaign, but I think it's important that issues are raised. And during the election period, it is a good time to raise issues because for once in their life, Australians sometimes during an election campaign, not all of them, uh, think about what's happening. And if you're thinking in a void and you hear the same garbage week in and week out, whether you listen to the government gelded ABC or the corporate-owned media, or you're surfing the net, going to those billions of Facebook pages and web pages which tell you basically nothing about anything, well then it's obvious that there will be a gap in possibilities. And what standing in the federal elections is about is not supporting the system, is about opening up those possibilities. Now, a few simple measures which don't require revolution, which don't require blood in the streets, all they require is a parliamentary vote, which we could be looking at in Australia. And remember, this is theoretically the richest sovereign nation state per head of population in the known world. 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent with a million children living in poverty. Isn't it wonderful? One third of the population living a hand-to-mouth existence on Social Security benefits. Isn't it wonderful? 8% of the population having disposable income to invest. Invest, invest, invest. And get government support for investing. So the more money you have, the more government support you have in this country. That's why we always seem to have this plethora of charities and philanthropies out there trying to do the right thing by people because governments are not willing to take the hard decisions. So a few policies. Universal basic income. It's nothing new. The Romans had a universal basic income to keep the plebeians in order. Bread and circuses, that's where the term comes from. Universal basic income. So every human being in this country has the capacity to live a reasonable life. Now, I've seen you fall in a heap saying, who's going to pay for this, Joe? Who's going to pay for this? Who's going to pay for this? Simple. Two taxes, 1% financial transaction tax, 1 cent in every dollar of every financial transaction, and most financial transactions today in 2022 are on the net, so you know you can do it automatically, would raise anywhere between 80 to $120 billion per year. That's a 30% increase in the tax take, which is about 500 to $550 billion per year. A 1% stock market turnover tax. If it's good enough, if, if investors get you know, support from the government through negative gearing laws, it's good enough they give back 1% of the money they spend every time they buy and sell a share. Now, every transaction on the Australian Stock Exchange is computerised. That means you can just press a button and all that beautiful money, about $40 billion a year, will flow into the Treasury. 
whether you buy a share or sell a share. Simple. Simple. All it takes is political will. And you can finance a universal basic income. Let's move on. So you're not going to hear any debate or real debate about a universal basic income. Public housing. Why is public housing everybody's business? Why is public housing a win-win situation for everybody, from the very rich to the very poor? Look at it this way. The average Australian mortgage is around a half a million. The average Australian mortgage on the eastern seaboard is around seven hundred and twenty to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's three quarters of a million. Interest rates will go up. Inflation is going up. There's a lot of funny money out there, and we saw what happened in the Weimar Republic in Germany in the 1920s, and we saw what happened in Zimbabwe a few decades ago when inflation reaches, you know, thousands of percent. Total and utter devastation. A quarter percent increase, one quarter of a percent increase, 25 basic points as they say, the Reserve Bank says, would mean that somebody with an average mortgage would have to find $75 a week extra. And is is there no no push for wage rises because striking has been basically outlawed in this country and trades unions have been legalised, almost legalised out of existence and there won't be any wage rises because obviously people want to maximise returns for themselves and their shareholders. Big problems on the horizon. So what is, how does public housing sort this out? Now what's happened in Australia over the last 40 years is we've seen the privatisation of the public housing market. I'm going to use capitalist terms. Privatisation of the public housing market. The housing market is now basically in the hands of the private sector. There is no competition. There may be competition about people trying to, you know, snaffle up the same, snaffle up the same, uh, apartment or house, but there is no competition, no real competition. If state governments and the federal governments invest in public housing, and they can invest huge amounts in public housing by turning over stamp duty, which you pay on the purchase of a home to the public housing sector, we would find that we could house over 15% of Australians in public housing within a decade. And it doesn't mean a building boom. You can do it through spot purchasing. It's been done before. We've had those numbers before. So what happens as the number of people in public housing increases? One, you get rid of the waiting list. Two, you decrease homelessness. But there are many other advantages for everybody. You increase security. When you have poverty and unemployment, the first thing that, you know, is affected is personal security. 
So you increase personal security, not just for the poor, but also for the rich. I'm sure they'd be grateful for that. They wouldn't need all those armed guards to protect their property. Increase security. You increase security because children who find themselves in public housing, I'm not talking about huge conglomerations where you put people with the same problems in the same spot, but proper public housing, they go to the same schools, they have the same friends, they go to the same sporting clubs. There's more mixing in society, therefore there's more personal security for these children, therefore there's less chance that they will drift into a life of criminal activity. At the same time, has the number of public has the public housing stock increases, the need to rent at the lower end of the market decreases. That means investors find themselves in a difficult situation. Well, a difficult situation where they are not able not able to get tenants into their abodes. That means there's downward pressure on rents and people who don't find themselves in the in the public housing sector who need accommodation, who can't get into the who can't buy or get a mortgage would be paying less rent. Therefore rents fall. At the same time, as investors desert the lower end of the market, prices at the lower end of the market fall and new home buyers have the ability to enter the market for a lower price. But most importantly of all, and this should get the economists, you know, salivaing, the most important thing is not just personal security, not just the fact that, you know, people are housed, not just the fact that homelessness decreases, not the, just the fact that rents decrease at the lower end of the market, not just the fact that housing prices decrease at the lower end of the market, but there's all this money which is freed up to go into the economy. Because if rents in public housing are fixed in, at 25% of income, that means that a huge amount of money, billions of dollars, cascades into the economy for people to buy goods and services. And why would this happen? Because most people today, unless they own their own home, and only one-third of Australians own their own home at any particular time, spent more than 25% of their income paying rent or paying off a mortgage, and this will increase as interest rates increase. So will there be discussion about public housing? No, it'll be about... Social housing, community housing, affordable housing. You give it a name and we'll give it a buck. Privatised housing. Let's move on. Another policy that nobody will be talking about. Well, people are starting to talk about it. The Americanisation of Australia's foreign policy. Now, we have walked lockstep with the US in the past, but never like today. The Morrison legacy, let's hope it's a legacy, the Morrison legacy is that Australia no longer has an independent foreign policy. 
we are supposed to be a middle-level power on the world stage, both militarily and economically. Supposed to be. But our defence system, our foreign policy, is totally intertwined and dominated by the needs of the American ruling classes to continue to dominate the world economy. Think about it. We don't have an independent foreign policy. I know the Conservatives like to jump up and down and say, we will decide who will come to this country and we'll jail them for 10 or 20 years for the audacity of coming here by boats because we're a sovereign, independent nation-state. But when it comes to the economy and foreign policy and defence, lock, stock, barrel with the United States. No independent foreign policy. We are thousands of kilometres apart. And we are now beginning to pay that price, not just in terms of increased defence spending, but in terms of economic boycotts in our region, in terms of uh, severing links with independent sovereign nation states in our region because of the policies that have been introduced which have intertwined the Australian economy and the Australian defence system into the American economy, the American ideology and the American You won't hear anybody talk about this because it's not nice, is it? It's not nice, but the cost that we will suffer as a nation will be enormous, not just economically, but if the situation in the Ukraine unravels, the personal cost to every man, woman and child on this continent will be enormous because of our inability to follow an independent foreign policy that suits us as a nation-state, not our puppet master, the United States of America. Another policy you won't hear anything about in this one, I can assure you there won't be one independent or political party talking about this, the nationalisation of this country's mineral resources without compensation. Oh, I can hear the shit hit the fan. Let's say it again. The nationalisation of this country's mineral resources without compensation or if they're not happy with that, maybe a 90% tax on mineral resources. Now, we don't ride on the sheep's back, although agriculture is bouncing around a bit at the minute. We rely on the extraction of crap from the ground. Now, theoretically, in the Commonwealth of Australia, all the crap underneath the ground belongs to the Crown, the Commonwealth of Australia. Obviously you can make divisions, but let's say it belongs to each and every one of us. So in this country there is 
coal, there are diamonds, there's gold, there's opals, there's iron ore, there's magnesium, there's uranium, there's bauxite, you name it, we got it as one of the oldest continents on the planet. So this extraordinary amount of wealth underneath the ground. So what do we do? What do we do? We give it away. The main thing we've created through the exploitation of this country's mineral resources is not compensation for this country's First Nations people and a better life for the rest of us, but billionaires. Billionaires. That's the main byproduct of the so-called mining boom. Billionaires. People making extraordinary amounts of money from extracting our wealth. That's right. Our wealth. It's a little bit like you saying to somebody, look, I've got all this gold in the backyard. Look, I don't really want it. You take it and um, do what you like with it. You continue to live in poverty, but, you know, you can rich yourself. So let's put it on the agenda. May never happen, but let's put it on the agenda. Nationalisation of this country's mineral resources without compensation. I can hear people wetting their pants across the nation. Simple concept, nothing radical. Or you could do what the Norwegians have done. Future Fund, 90% of profits from extraction from uh, oil, bang, into the Future Fund. Not into the pockets of investors. I mean, are you telling me that as a, a nation-state with an educated population that we cannot extract as a nation our resources and use them for us, not to provide profits to shareholders, extraordinary wages to managers and CEOs with minimal taxation return? Think about it. Now, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. I'm sure you could think of lots of things. As I said before, I have been toying with the idea. There's a lot of effort involved in standing as an independent Senate candidate. I've done it before, but there's a lot of effort involved, especially if you have a running partner. But isn't it about time we saw some independent policies trotted out which benefit the community as a whole, not that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, or that sm- or that 8% of Australians are part of the investment class. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Now, cynicism. That's what I love about my fellow Australians. Remember, Gough Whitlam used to say... Men and women of Australia, men and women, cynicism, the aphrodisiac of the ruling classes. And it's fascinating how ground down most Australians are. Poverty of imagination, 
inability, inability to see beyond their own personal issues and financial hole they're in. We have a culture which ensures that we continue to be focused on our navel and not looked around us. And cynicism is that very thing that the ruling classes require in order to continue to function. Because when hope arises, well, then you've got a problem. Because hope is the love child of, of desire and expectation, the desire for change, that hunger in the belly for change, and the expectation that that change will occur. That is the ignition, the flame, which creates change. To say, oh, it'll never happen. It's impossible. Somebody else should do it. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. Why should it be me? Cynicism is the worst thing in the universe. I'm not talking about realism. Realism is different to cynicism. The reality that the struggle is hard, the reality that we may never win, the reality that we can't push in a particular direction, that's one thing. But to say, don't embark on that struggle because there's no point. Don't take that first step because there is no point because every time you take a step, you'll be crushed. Don't bother. Just languish in the cesspit you find yourself in as an individual and as a community because there's no point trying to climb out of that cesspit. And that, I think, is the greatest barrier that we face as a society. The fact not only are we cynical, we're also divided. Horribly divided in this country. And horribly divided on the basis of race, nationality, gender, sexual orientation, languages we speak. Horribly divided urban, rural, regional. It's all about looking over your shoulder and thinking, she's the enemy, they're the enemy, he's the enemy. The fact is, while we continue to ignore the basic fundamental fact that it's inequalities in power and wealth which allow this tragedy, it is a tragedy, Australia has become a tragedy. This tragedy to continue to bubble on. Well, we have a million children living in poverty. We have a third of the population living on social security benefits and a hand to mouth existence. Where well, we have almost 70% of the population spending anywhere between 30 to 50 to 60% of their income paying for a roof over their head. The fact that, you know, somehow we, you know, march to the nationalist drumbeat over and over again. What a tragedy. So cynics need not apply to be members of public interest before corporate interests. Realists, yes. Cynics, go back to Greece. Well, ancient Greece. Let's move on.
I am flabbergasted. And it takes a little bit to flabbergast me. But I'm flabbergasted by the situation in Ukraine, not because of the usual reasons, which everybody else is crowing about, but the fact that the United States has allowed the people of the Ukraine to be sacrificed in an imperial war. Currently we have three imperial powers which are very interested in taking over other sovereign nation states, whether through economic means or physically. We've got Russia, we've got China, and we've got the United States of America. The United States of America is the primary imperial power currently, but it, as I said before, it's been concerned about the rise and rise of China and the minimal rise of Russia. Dragging Russia into a quagmire in the Ukraine has been United States policy from the word go. And it's done that in order to neutralise Russia as a threat so it can concentrate its efforts on China, which is the real threat. Two, that's United States domination of the economy. So the United States knew for months that Putin was going to invade the Ukraine. They knew for months that there could be a negotiated settlement in terms of creating a demilitarised zone in the Ukraine. And over and over and over again, they refused to negotiate with the Russians regarding the future. We are now seeing urban warfare at its worst. As we saw, as we see currently in Syria for the last 10 years and in Yemen for the last six years, where civilians become the major casualty. And we see it. Now, anybody with one synapsing neuron knew that irrespective of whether the Ukrainians were able to mount some type of credible resistance or not, the price that they would pay would be extraordinarily high. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an analogy. Right, there's a bully at school, okay? Big bloke, you know, he's got a stun gun in his pocket, happy to use his fists to get his own way, right? Right? And you're concerned about that bully. And you go to your mate, he's also a big guy, you know, or a big gal, you know. You go up to them and say, oh, look, you know, these people are bullying me. Can you give me a hand? Can you help me? And your mate says, oh, look, you go down there and, you know, have it out with the bully and I'll just hang around and watch. You know? Go out there and have it with the bully and so what's going to happen? You're going to get pummeled. Because the way you defeat bullies is to stand up to them. Not just one the person being bullied, but the people around you. So what's happened to the Ukraine? They've been pushed into this little war, this nasty little confrontation with Russia which is causing a lot of pain and suffering. 
what does everybody do? They stand around and they say, oh, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. I don't like this. Let's give them a few billion dollars. Let's give them a few arms. You know, we'll watch. No fly, you know, zone, you know, none of that. We'll just watch and be pummeled. So you ask yourself why. Why have the Ukrainian people been sacrificed? And that's what's been happening. They are being sacrificed in an imperial war. And to a significant degree, this has got nothing about ideology, nothing about religion. This is about global politics. It's about imperial powers fighting on other people's turfs. And we saw this over and over again in the 60s and 70s when the Soviet Union confronted the United States of America in various parts of the world. And we saw some of the worst atrocities of all time, Mozambique, Angola, and the list, Congo, and the list goes on and gone. Bolivia, Chile, just goes on and on and on. So when you look at this conflict, just don't look at the immediate consequences. Look at the reason why the conflict has occurred, why it continues, and why there is no negotiated settlement. It is in the United States' interest to bog the Russian oligarchs in a never-ending war in the Ukraine. It is to the total detriment of the Ukrainian people that they have been put in this situation. It's an extraordinary situation. But let's not forget, this is nothing new. We have sovereign nation states which take over other areas constantly. I want to talk about West Papua today because the situation in West Papua makes the suffering which is occurring in the Ukraine today pale into total insignificance. The West Papuans have been conducting a military and political and cultural struggle against the takeover of their country by the Indonesian military 60 years ago. There are approximately one million West Papuans left in West Papua. Over half a million West Papuans have died directly or indirectly over the last 60 years as a consequence of that ongoing struggle. I'll repeat it again. Over half a million of West Papuans have died in the ongoing struggle against Indonesian occupation. West Papua, unlike the Ukraine, is not 10,000 kilometres away or seven or 8,000 kilometres away. West Papua is 67 kilometres away from the Australian coastline. 67 kilometres. You could walk it in two days. 67 kilometres. Currently, there is one Indonesian soldier in West Papua for every six adult West Papuans. 
There are military installations across the West Papuan Territory. There are countless roadblocks, hundreds of political prisoners in jail, and the access to services which West Papuans require are non-existent in the majority of cases. Let's move on. Over the last 60 years, over a million Indonesians have come across to settle in West Papua at the behest of the Indonesian government given free land, in inverted commas, land which is stolen from the West Papuan people. That's over a million. So now, in 2022, the West Papuans have become a minority in their own country. Okay? I can hear you sigh and shrug your shoulders. And then, let's not forget, West Papua is one of the last bastion of resources which have been unexploited on planet Earth. Let's forget about the Freeport Mine, which is owned by the United States company, which is mining the biggest gold mine on the planet. But look at the pristine forests and rivers that have been chopped down the lungs of the planet being destroyed daily, acre after acre after acre after acre. Now, the West Papuan Transitional Government has a policy of retaining their natural resources for the welfare of the planet. Now, currently, the West Papuan Independence Movement is attempting to raise their plight on the United Nations Decolonisation Committee with mixed results, mixed results. And hopefully in the next few years they'll be able to put it on the agenda. But what's Australia's role in all this? And this is the tragedy. Australia arms, trains the, the Indonesian military that is deployed in West Papua. We actively support the very organisations, the very military-industrial complex that is responsible for the atrocities which continue on a daily basis in West Papua. We, as a country, support them. The major political parties support them. At least the Greens, the Australian Greens, have a policy of supporting West Papua independence. I've spoken about this before, but I'll give you an example. A number of years ago, about five or six years ago, an independent member of the Senate, a former DLP senator who supported West Papua independence, wanted to raise a condolence motion for a... West Papuan supporter in the Northern Territory, a woman who'd been supporting the struggle for many years who was accidentally killed in a bicycle accident. And he put the word West Papua in the condolence motion to the Senate. The condolence motion was never put to the Senate because the Labor Party and the Liberal National Party demanded the word West Papua be removed. Think about it. So, 2022, our role. 
Well, I'm very proud with my late wife, Ellen Jose, to have been the initiators of the West Papuan Rent Collective. And the concept of the West Papuan Rent Collective is a very, very, very simple concept. It's about raising the money to pay the rent for an office to conduct the West Papuan independent struggle, not just in this country, but around the world. Because believe it or not, the West Papuan movement has almost no support from anywhere. So the Rent Collective was formed over seven years ago, and for the last seven years we have been paying the rent at an office in Docklands, a secure office in Docklands, for the West Papuan activists and refugees and asylum seekers who have come to this country to conduct their independent struggle the way they see fit. And it's a very simple concept, but it does require cash, like most simple concepts do. Members of the West Papuan Rent Collective, and you can be anonymous if you wish, pay a dollar a day towards the rent. That's one-fifth of a cup of coffee. A dollar a day. You can do it anonymously. You can pay it in one hit. Unfortunately, like all movements, we're struggling. COVID-19 had a profound impact on the Rent Collective for a variety of reasons. And we find ourselves struggling, trying to find members of the Rent Collective. Now, this Sunday, on the 27th of March, at 1pm, between 1 and 4pm, members of the Rent Collective, supporters of the West Papua Independence Movement and interested people are invited to attend a lunch, a West Papua lunch, uh, followed by a Zoom meeting with the West Papua Transitional Government in West Papua, also a a Zoom meeting with the independent member for Clare in Hobart in Tasmania, followed by an auction of handmade recycled timber furniture made by David McKenzie, who donates his time, creates these pieces of furniture, and there are four this, this time, which are auctioned. And every cent which is raised goes into the West Papuan Rent Collective in order to pay the rent. So why... Do we need an office at 838 Collins Street? You know, as the convener of the Rent Collective, I've asked that. Why such an office? Well, this office acts as a de facto embassy for the West Papuan Transitional Government. It allows the struggle around the world to be coordinated and gives them the opportunity to communicate with the West Papua and Transitional Government and keep people totally informed about the atrocities which are occurring on a daily basis in West Papua. So, if you are concerned about imperialism, you are concerned about sovereign nation-states being taken over by force. If you are concerned about the Ukrainian situation, I recommend that you start thinking about the situation in your, your own backyard. The West Papuan independence struggle, Australia's involvement in crushing that independence struggle and what you and I can do. So if you want to join the Rent Collective, 
you've got a number of options. But I think the best option is to turn up for lunch at 838 Collins Street in Docklands this Sunday at 1pm. Listen to the speakers. Meet members of the Rent Collective. If you like what you see, join the Rent Collective. If you can't come to the lunch and you're interested in joining the Rent Collective, leave a message on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. And the key is to leave a message. If you don't leave a message, we don't know what it's all about. So leave a message. Uh, or go to the West Parkland office website, DFAC, West Parkland Independence. You'll find it. It's there. And they've got uh, details on how to join the Rent Collective. And, and the important thing is you can do it anonymously. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This, pro- this program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Don't forget the lunch next Thursday on the 31st at 321 to 325 Nepean Highway, Frankston, all you can eat. Uh, meet fellow activists, meet fellow members of public interest before corporate interests, chew the fat, change the world. Let's move on. Our Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the public. YouTube, public interest before corporate interest. Websites, pipsy.net. Yes, we, you can join public interest before corporate interests via the net. Via the net. It's all there. You can download the application form, send it in, or you can just join. It's there. I mean, as I said before, you want change, you need to do something. You don't want change? Well, that's fine. But there's no point listening to the anarchist world this week if you don't want change, all right? It's a waste of an hour. Total waste of an hour for you and me, mainly for you. You can do better things. You know, you can watch repeats of Days of Our Lives. You know, I'm sure there's something there out there on the... uh, You can watch some YouTube or go to YouTube and, you know, guzzle on that. But don't listen to the anarchist world this week if you don't want change. If you don't want to, you know, if you're part of that cynical brigade that believes that nothing will ever change, well, don't listen to the anarchist world this week, all right? If you're part of the Gunner tribe or somebody should do that, something about that tribe, uh, maybe you should listen. Maybe it'll change your attitude. But uh, look, ultimately, change comes when masses of people are willing to promote ideas like a universal basic income, increased public housing. 1% 1% financial transaction tax, 1% stock market tax, nationalisation of this country's mineral resources. Oh, I can see people shaking, shaking their heads at that one. Let's move on. Commodity culture. You like that word, commodity culture? You know, I love one great thing about living in a capitalist society, private investment for private profit, the fact that everything has a price. Everything. I want a kidney because I've got kidney failure. I can't get on the list here. I can go overseas get a kidney. Simple. I want to have a good time. I've got the cash. I can have a good time. Hmm? I don't have any cash in my pocket. I can press my nose to that cake, that cake shop window and draw all over the window and nobody cares. Commodity culture. 
Isn't it amazing? Everything has a price. Shelter, food, sewerage. Look at your water bill. About 10%, 15% will be water. The rest are all these charges, fuel, transport, and the list goes on and on. Commodity culture. Do we really want to be part of a culture where everything as a price, where our thinking is skewed in such a way that making a profit, irrespective of the human, social, environmental cost, is the main driver of our energies on a day-to-day basis. And that's the dilemma, isn't it, with commodity culture? It's all about making a buck, irrespective of the cost. You know what they say? Privatise the profits, socialise the losses. So we're in a commodity culture where organisations which exist, like the gambling business, that have extraordinary negative impacts on the population are not asked to pay for the extraordinary negative impacts. We, as the taxpayers, pay for the damage, which they do. We pay for the damage. It's the same with the coal industry. We pay for the damage. We don't ask them to clean up their mess. And it goes on and on and on and on. Commodity culture. Everything has a price. It's all about profit and loss. Nothing about holding wealth in common. Nothing about using wealth for the common good. Nothing about breaking down hierarchical um, structures it's all about making a buck you wake up every day where's the money that I'm going to need to survive how am I going to pay the rent it's all about how, how, how so we get skewed into thinking that this is the only way that the only way to survive is to be part of the private investment for private profit culture which dominates every aspect of our living. It's the same with the entertainment business, the health industry, the aged care industry, the education industry, 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 industry. And when you can't make a buck, well, then you leave it to the state to pick up the pieces. So are you part of this never-ending circle. You're like a rat on a wheel chasing your tail day after day. If you are, there are differences. Life does not have to be like this. It's not like this since time immemorial. This is structures that have been created that ensure that we continue as human beings to live a hand-to-mouth existence while there is great wealth all around us and we worship those who have the wealth we worship at the at Mammon statue you don't have to go to the mosque you don't have to go to church you don't have to go you know to your local temple you just worship at the cryptocurrency <laughs> mantle what can we say let's move on mr morrison thinks he's tapped into Tampa Light. 
Now, Senator Kitching, a Labor senator, a right-wing Labor senator, uh, uh, died of a heart attack, suspected heart attack, a few days ago, and she had her funeral, I think, a day or two ago, and uh, we extend our condolences to her and her family and her, and, um, her friends. But I've been fascinated by how the conservative media and Mr Morrison has jumped on her death as some type of political life boy. It's been extraordinary to see the legacy media, both television, radio and newspapers in large sections of the, uh, the virtual media, use her death as some type of electioneering ploy. I think it highlights the desperation of Mr Morrison. If Mr Morrison thinks that this is his tamper light, think again. Because I think people are sick and tired of people like Morrison and Albanese and other so-called political leaders talking about peripheral issues, not central issues. They're sick and tired of it. They're sick and tired of this garbage. I mean, to try, to try to obtain some political advantage from somebody who's died from a heart attack is just the pits. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. As I said before, change rests with the word hope. Hope is the love child of desire and expectation, the desire for change and the expectation that it will change. It doesn't come out of thin air. It only comes through action and thinking. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Yes, you can join public interest before corporate interest. Go to the website, pipsy.net. You can join online or you can download the application form. Yes, you can write to us. I know it's extraordinary. At Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Don't forget uh, this Sunday, the 27th of March, Open day, West Papua Office, 838 Collins Street, 1 to 4 p.m. And remember, cynicism is the aphrodisiac of the ruling classes. So if you're a cynic, stop listening to the anarchist world this week. If you're a realist, you're welcome. If you're on the fence, you're welcome. Thank you once again for listening to the anarchist world this week on your local community radio station, Listen in next week, courtesy of the community radio station to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.